Uh, spiritually, we've just been blessed by New Hope. Um, at New Hope, we have both grown spiritually immensely. One, partially because Peg had a, went through a breast cancer battle. And at that point in time, God uh, became very important in our life. And New Hope family became part of that spiritual journey and support and meals and doing all sorts of different things for us. And, and uh, it's just a blessing. Disappointed if New Hope wasn't here. One of the things that I see and I watch and I love are the children and the youth as they're coming into New Hope. And, and we've got a lot of, our own family included, we've got uh, kids that we've seen start, be born here, um, maybe started kindergarten or first grade here at New Hope and then spiritually have grown through and with New Hope and and uh, it's just been an awesome experience watching those young people grow into young adult Christians and, and start their own families. So that's been something that's really been neat. Um, but without New Hope, I, we would really have a void uh, and uh, we'd still have God, but we'd have, we'd have a void that with friends and family. Right now is a, is a great time for New Hope because the city of Adel is growing. There's opportunity for us to serve and serve the community and bring more and more people to Christ. And uh, uh, that's what God asks us to do. That's what we're asked to do is to follow Christ and serve and bring more people to meet his son. So that's what, uh, that's what New Hope is all about, and I want to be part of it. It's exciting. God has done so many miraculous things in my life since I've been coming to New Hope Church. I was a fairly young believer, uh, at least a very immature believer when we started. And my family has grown up in New Hope. Um, my girls have all grown up at, in the church, become believers, uh, married. I, my granddaughter now comes to New Hope Church. And so um, it's really taking me the mentors, the older men, the older people in the church have really shown me what it is to follow Jesus. And just to seeing all the things that he's done uh, on mission trips and with youth and so many different things over the years, just miracle after miracle, life change after life change is just totally molded uh, what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, nothing like I ever thought it was, not, nothing that I grew up in church understanding. Uh, it's just, uh, it's changed my whole view of what and who Jesus really is. New Hope is family for me. Uh, it's just been a part of my life so long that it's really everything to me. Um, my kids know nothing different than New Hope Church. They first came to New Hope Church when we were meeting at the elementary lunchroom, and so they didn't even know what a church building was for a long time. And so I've just been a part of New Hope from the beginning, so it's just... I've seen tremendous growth. I've seen life change. I've seen miracles. I've seen incredible things. I've seen difficulties that we've worked through, um, just like any other family. And it, it's truly my, my family. And so that's, it just means everything to me. Romans 10, 9, if you, if you confess with your mouth that he is the Son of God and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, good morning, New Hope Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, okay. <laughs> Not quite awake yet. Well, I, I'm excited. We're having two services today. It feels like we're all, you know, kind of back together again. And, 
And uh, sure, we can clap because I, I tell you, we just miss each other, right? And I've, I've missed seeing so many of you, and uh, so this is a special thing. I do want to mention uh, any kids that are still in here, we do have Kids Church going on, so teachers are back there. You can uh, head on back to that and uh, join up the classes uh, that are going on there. If we haven't met. My name is Ryan, the lead pastor here, and uh, we just watched a video, and we're watching these each week. We showed the first one last week, and we'll have more in the coming weeks because we're, we're talking about the stories that uh, your stories and New Hope Church stories of, of what God has been doing uh, in your life and is doing today. And, and, uh, and so to see, in this case, Dean and Tim, you know, just share a little bit of the New Hope story and how God's worked in their life as well. It's encouraging. In the coming weeks, we'll hear from more folks that are, are a part of New Hope and, uh, and to share that because all of this is really in context of New Hope. New Hope Church is turning 20 years old here in a few weeks, which is hard to believe. And, and so we're taking time to celebrate. We're taking time to to remember the past, to remember God's faithfulness and goodness over 20 years of history. And, and in April, we're going back to the uh, elementary school that Tim talked about, and we're going to be celebrating on the anniversary, 20th anniversary of that first gathering. And, and uh, so really special times that are going on here. And I know Jake already mentioned a few things, but but uh, the timeline out in the, in the wall, if you haven't yet checked that out, it's got old bulletins and pictures and, and photo albums and, and just uh, part of the history of the church. Take a moment to check out the timeline wall. And, and we also have the lovely baptism tub up here and signatures are starting to fill up there. Uh, what we're asking anybody to do, if you've ever been baptized in the last 20 years uh, at New Hope Church or in connection with New Hope Church, so it could have been a New Hope event or whatnot, but it was in a pond or a pool or a garden hose. I don't know how they got you, but uh, however it was, if you'd like to, if you'd be willing to sign your name on the tub, it's kind of a new tradition we're starting so that uh, in a few weeks we are doing a baptism celebration. And so when that person comes up here and they get uh, they get baptized, they're going to sign that tub as they share about the story of life change that God has done in them. And I want it to be the kind of thing where when we look at the tub, we just see names of people. We Maybe we know them, maybe we don't. But God has changed their life. And you just look at it and you say, this is the work that he's doing and we get to be a part of that. It's a really exciting thing. And so uh, we've got the clothing store that's coming out here, launching next week as well. So a lot of exciting things, but it's really just about us remembering God's goodness, who he is and how he's worked in this church and in your lives as well. So there's so much to be thankful for. And, uh, and in fact, speaking of being thankful, uh, I want to take a second too before we jump in the morning message and uh, tell you all thank you as well. Today is Volunteer Appreciation Day. Uh, you saw the balloons coming in. Hopefully you got some cake. I mean, it was being gobbled up pretty quick after the first service there, but, but uh, hopefully you got some cake. Really today is about saying thank you for, for you. So many of you are involved in serving on a ministry team. Doing research this last week, most churches, about 30% of their church body serve somewhere. So, so you know what that means. That's the old Pareto principle, right? It's 80% of the people are doing 20% of the work or you know, 20% is being done by, you get the idea. Get all mixed up. Anyway, most people aren't doing as much and a few people are kind of doing everything. And that's what it feels like. But that's not the New Hope story. The New Hope story is so much different. The New Hope story is about currently today, there's 31 different ministry teams being filled by 371 roles. That's you of serving in different ministry teams in different avenues. It's both here on Sunday morning, it's during the week, it's out in the community, it's all of that, and it's, it's God using your life. And the role I get to play here at New Hope, I get to oftentimes dabble in and jump into different settings and see different teams. In a sense, I get to see you in action. And God is using you. He's using you in great ways. And so this morning, I want to tell you thank you. 
Thank you for your sacrifice of time, your sacrifice of your talents. Thanks for your, your sacrificial spirit, your willingness to show up, to be here. It's everything from moving chairs for an Amplify event to hospitality and kids ministry and, and, and worship team or whatever the case may be. Just, just thank you because God is using you to make an impact in the lives of people. It's not about a few people in the church or a staff that's doing the work. That's not it at all. This is about the church, being the church and loving people in their community. And that's what you're doing. So well done, New Hope Church. I couldn't be more proud. I couldn't be more thankful for each one of you. So happy Volunteer Appreciation Day uh, in terms of that. So, uh, hey, if you would then grab your Bible, please. And we're going to be in a couple different scriptures this morning, but uh, primarily in, in the book of Acts. If you go to Acts chapter 9, and we're, we're in a, a, story, a series called Stories. We launched it last week, so the four or five of you that were here that heard it, that's awesome. And, uh, and what we're looking at are the stories of how God is working in in your life and in my life and, and, and looking at how, what, what's been in the past and what he's doing today, what we're trusting him for tomorrow. And so last week we talked about your testimony. We talked about your story and what that looks like. And, uh, and then as we're jumping in starting today, what we're going to do is make a transition and we're going to look at, I want to introduce you to six people, just one today and then one next week and on we go. But six people, I want to introduce you to them because I want you to see these people that are in Scripture in the New Testament and how God has used their life in a tremendous way. But see, you're going to find something. You're going to find that these are people like you and I. You're going to find that these are people that carried on with life much the way you and I do. And then Jesus showed up and changed everything. And that's how it is with us as well. You're also going to find that as we go through these different stories, that no two stories are the same. That the story we look at this morning is not going to be the story of the person we're looking at next Sunday or the one after that. That each has a unique, almost like a fingerprint uh, um, way that God worked in their life. And it was all transformation and it was all God, but it was just a different story. And so we want to get into that so that you can see. This morning we're going to be looking at a remarkable person a person who wrote almost half the New Testament, a person who was a missionary that God used to turn the world upside down, especially among the Gentile world. We're going to look at somebody whose life was, it appears, suddenly transformed. That, that his life was, was going in one direction. He had one pursuit. He was, he was going in, in a certain direction, and then just God showed up and just radically transformed everything, and all of a sudden, then he was going in a totally different direction. It was an incredible thing to behold. This morning, we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And so like I mentioned before, Acts chapter 9 is where we're, going to, where we're going to be this morning, at least primarily. And so if you have a, a tablet or smartphone, you go to uversion.com. It's a great way to follow along digitally there. And I want to give you the big idea this morning. So if you have a bulletin on the back side, there's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks we got this morning. This morning is the big takeaway, the thing that I really want you to hang on to, that we're going to keep coming back to over and over again as we look at the life of Paul. And here's the idea. That whether you realize it or not, that God is always at work in your life. And sometimes you realize it, sometimes you see it, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you, you don't see it. But no, whether you see it or not, God is faithful. God is good. God is always at work in your life. He's always doing something. And my hope is that this this, this morning brings you some encouragement. Because I don't know where you're at today. But I do know that it's very possible, and some of you have been there before, or again, you may be there today, where you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you're lost. 
or you feel maybe forgotten by God, or you feel like I'm going along life and I'm not sure what's going on and nothing seems to make sense. And, and God, you, feel, you feel distant. You feel like you're not around. You feel like you're not paying attention to what I'm going through. Everything that I feel, everything that I see, everything that I experience would be contrary to what we're looking at here this morning, that God is always at work. And so in the times when things can feel a certain way, I think it's important to come back to the principles of Scripture and say, okay, but what, what is God's character? And what does he say and what does he promise? This idea, again, that he is always at work in your life. Again, my hope is it's an encouragement to you. So last week, one of the things we talked about was we talked about a testimony. We talked about a faith story that oftentimes there's three chapters to a testimony. Now, some of you, you have all three chapters filled out. Some of you, maybe you're still working on chapter one. And that's where you're at this morning in your spiritual journey. But a chapter looks like this, or a faith story looks like this. Chapter one is my life before Jesus. And then chapter two is how I met Jesus. And then chapter three is now that I've met Jesus, now what is God doing? What's happening in life? And those tend to be the three chapters, the way we kind of think about and flow of a faith story. And I want to use those three chapters to outline Paul's story as well this morning, because each of those three chapters happened in his life as well, and to draw some observations from that. So let's go ahead and get started here this morning, just jumping into his life. And before we get into uh, uh, kind of our first scripture and our first looking at a principle, I want to make one point of clarification. Because one of the things about Paul's life is that he went by, and this was common back then, but he actually had two names. He had Paul, that, that we oftentimes talk about, but he was also called Saul. And he was probably born with the two names. He probably, or even at an early age, maybe he got those. But this was a common thing. And so you'll see in scripture as we're reading along, it talks about Saul and you're like, well, is that Paul? I thought we were talking about Paul, but Paul and Saul are the same person. Paul was his Roman name. Saul was his Jewish name. And so depending on his setting, he was called one or the other, same person. Now, what's also interesting, before we can kind of jump into more content here, is there was an ancient writer who lived fairly close to when Paul lived, and he wrote down a description of what Paul looked like. I don't know if it's true or not. None of us do. But it is interesting because he lived pretty close to when Paul lived. And I want to look at and just kind of give you a, a picture of, of this is how Paul the person was described by somebody who lived in close proximity to when he lived. Here's what it says. He says that Paul was a man rather small in size, which is interesting because the name Paul literally means small. So there's a good chance that he was a little guy, not very tall, just not a very big guy in terms of stature. And that's what he was probably like. So, so he was a man rather small in size. He was bald-headed. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Okay, he was bow-legged. Um, he had, with meeting eyebrows, a large red and somewhat crooked nose. He was strongly built. He was a man full of grace, for at times he looked like a man and at times like an angel. Just interesting. Maybe that's what he looked like, maybe not. It's not even all that important. Other than I just want to point out these two different names, and there's a good chance, especially the name Paul, meaning small, he was probably just a little guy. But he was a pretty big force that God used. So let's take a look at his life before he met Jesus. See, Paul grew up in a city called Tarsus. Tarsus was a larger metropolitan uh, community, lots of diversity in culture, lots of diversity in terms of economy. There was a lot happening um, there. There's a map there that you can see, and I circle where Tarsus is there. This would be modern-day Turkey. And he was born in an a, uh, Orthodox Jewish family. 
And so strictly religious, if you will. His dad, most scholars believe, was a tent maker, as Paul would also pick up that skill and use that skill later on in his life and ministry. Scholars also believe that Paul's mother passed away when he was a boy, maybe around the age of nine. So there's a good chance that Paul grew up in a a single-parent household where dad's trying to play both parts, both roles, and keep the family together. But regardless, he would have had education, he would have had training, he would have been taught in terms of religious studies, they would have, he would have been in school and, and learned about the Old Testament and, and training along that end. He also learned to speak three languages. And Paul, at an early age, developed or displayed, I should say, an exceptional mind. I mean, a mind that was unlike most people, most children they ever saw. In fact, by the age of 13, Paul, if you have your Bible, I would flip to the book of Genesis, he... Uh, memorized, memorized the book of Genesis by the age of 13. He memorized the book of Exodus. He memorized the book of Leviticus. That would have been painful. He memorized the book of Numbers. He memorized the book of Deuteronomy. He memorized most of the Psalms. He memorized large sections of the Old Testament, including the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel. He memorized them. You guys, I don't even know what I did yesterday. And like this guy was able to commit to memory This amount of scripture, I mean, his mind was incredible. People recognize that. And so at the age of 13, he had the huge honor of being offered an opportunity, and and it happened, where his dad sent him from Tarsus to Jerusalem, where he studied under the most famous rabbi of the time, Gamaliel. Gamaliel is actually in the New Testament. I think Acts chapter 5 is where he's talked about. I mean, an incredible honor. Gamaliel was like, he was like 900 years old. He was like a little Yoda, but he was still like the sharpest mind of the day and he would come and Paul got to sit with him and learn from him. And it was just an incredible, incredible opportunity. I want you to think in comparison wise, this would be like a 13-year-old prodigy being sent off to Stanford University to study astrophysics or something smart, hard, right? And he could do that. His mind was that way. This was Paul. And so he goes and he studies under Gamaliel and he's learning all about the Old Testament and the religious laws and he becomes zealous for his his Jewish faith. He would have done that for about six years. At the age of 20, he would have graduated. He would have graduated with full status as a lawyer, as a Pharisee. He had a bright future. I mean, everything was in front of him. He was the darling of the Jewish faith. People knew him. He was being the one talked about for a place on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court. I mean, this was... This was Paul. Paul was a giant among the Jewish religion at a very young age. And I want to push pause here real quick to highlight something. And actually this verse here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 10. Because God was at work in his life during these first 20 years. See, the verse says this, which Paul would write later. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works with God prepared in advance for us to do. So what's he saying? So so what Paul is saying here is that you and I, we are God's handiwork, that he's fashioned you uh, in such a way for a purpose, that he wants to use your life in in an intentional way. See, what this means is nothing about you that's accidental. From your stature, your gender, your personality, where you live, when you live, what God is, how he's pulled you together and who you are, that all of that are clues for how God wants to use your life. You are God's workmanship, wonderfully made and for a purpose to use your life for good works. This is what he wants to do. 
And this is true of Paul too. See, this was not on Paul's radar, I'm sure. But Paul was such a person, if you look over his first 20 years, God is absolutely preparing him for the ministry that he had for Paul. That again, Paul wasn't even thinking about. I mean, if you think about his personality, his mind, and the way his mind would think. And having studied Greek and reading the New Testament in the Greek, I can tell you, except for the author of Hebrews, Paul is the most eloquent, insightful, smart person I've ever read. He was brilliant. And God gave him that mind. And you look at his experiences, his education, his passion, his zeal, I mean, his unending energy, all of these things coming together that God was using to prepare him for what he had for him. See, whether Paul realized it or not, whether you and I realize it or not, God is always at work in your life. And God was working in Paul's life those first seasons. And Paul had a certain life direction. He had a certain passion. Upon graduation, most scholars think that he left Jerusalem. He probably went back to Tarsus, went back home, checked on dad, maybe did some ministry there, went back to a ticker tape parade. I mean, this is Paul. He's famous. And what's interesting is that right when, when, when Paul leaves Jerusalem, kind of leaves center stage, is the exact same time, interestingly enough, that John the Baptist enter center stage and begins to talk about this coming Messiah. And shortly after, Jesus shows up and begins his three-year public ministry. Most think Paul wasn't around during that time. He was somewhere else. He missed, the, he missed Jesus' ministry. He, he missed the crucifixion. He missed the resurrection. He was gone for all of that. The new church begins. These Jesus followers, the Holy Spirit comes down and now there's a group of people who are passionate about a resurrected Jesus that they have a relationship with. And now Paul comes back to Jerusalem and Paul's description of himself when he returns to Jerusalem is chilling. I wanna share with you his words about his perspective and where he was at as he comes back to Jerusalem, fully accredited, trained up, ready for what he was gonna do. Look what he says about himself. Acts chapter 22, verse 4. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way. This way, that was Christianity, that was the church. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. The next one, Acts chapter 26, verse 9. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. One more, Galatians chapter one. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's honest. I hated the church. I hated Christianity. I hated this idea of Jesus. I was zealous for God, but this whole notion that God had a son and sent a son and, and Jesus was it and he's not somewhere in a tomb and he's resurrected in this new movement, he was passionately and fiercely intent to destroy the church of God. 
to destroy this new movement of what, what God was doing, the church. That's what he was about. And the most dramatic scene of all isn't even these scriptures here. In Acts chapter 7, it gives this account of one of the early Christians, a guy named Stephen. And Stephen was a guy who was a deacon. He loved to serve. He was just passionately in love with Jesus. And the, and the people in Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem, got a hold of him. And, and they, they put him on trial. And, and Stephen takes his opportunity. And he didn't cower at all. I mean, he, he just courageously shared his story shared his story, the, well, first the story of God through the whole Old Testament, and then he shared his story of how God has showed up in his life and completely, radically changed everything. And that's what Stephen courageously did, and they picked up stones, and they tried to kill him. In verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, the next verse here, this is what it says, this killing, this murder of Stephen is going on. It says, and Saul was there, there he is, giving approval to his death. That word giving approval is one word in the Greek, and that word means literally to take pleasure with others. So you could translate chapter 8, verse 1 to say something like this, that Paul was there enjoying the death of Stephen. What kind of person does that? I mean, just enjoying this bloody mess of a scene going on, taking pleasure in it. The degree of hatred in this man's heart his zeal for God and thinking he was serving God by murdering and, kill, and arresting people and trying to destroy the church is incredible. But, the, but he, this is him. This is where he's at. And Paul is very honest about that. This is who I was until Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, everything always changes. So if you were in Acts chapter 9, had your finger there, we're going to start there. Because here is the account of when, li when Paul's life begins to change. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus. Now, we don't have a map for this, but, but Damascus was, was the northernmost community or city in Palestine. If you go any further north, you're in another country. And so this was, this was a hundred and is, a 150-mile journey from Jerusalem north to Damascus. It would have taken Paul about six days to make this journey. This was a, a major undertaking, but he goes to the high priest. He gets permission, letters, if you will, endorsement to go all the way up to Damascus so that he could hunt Christians. My hunch is that he was going to start in the northernest part, and he was just going to start arresting and killing all the way down, all the way down until he reached Jerusalem. That that's what he's going to try to do. And so he goes, he gets the letters, he goes on his way to Damascus and continue on. He says, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied. And if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline or circle the word suddenly there. Because you have this picture of Paul's life again going in one direction, and then suddenly Jesus shows up, everything changes, and now he's going to go in a different direction. And while on a part that's in a way that's true, there's actually something else going on here that's really important to notice. And to get this, this information, if you will, Paul later in his life, he's on trial, he's standing in front of a king, and he's sharing his story. He's sharing his testimony. Acts chapter 26. So if you have your Bible, turn a couple pages to the right, go to Acts chapter 26, or you can just 
see on the screen behind me here in a moment. But Paul is going to give more details about this incredible moment when Jesus just shows up. So look with me, Acts chapter 26, verse 13. Paul's telling the story of what happened. He was there. He knows. He remembers all this. He says, About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then here's the addition. He's Jesus speaking. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Maybe you've heard that expression, maybe not. It was a common one back in that day. For us, not so much. What does that mean? Well, a goad, in fact, we have a picture of it here to show you. A goad, it was a stick that a farmer would use. It was pointed on one end. And to make the ox do what the farmer wanted, the, uh, the farmer would poke the, the, use the goad to poke the ox, and that would make the animal go. And if the ox did not want to obey, if the ox was fighting back, the ox could kick back against the goad. The problem was that would hurt the animal. And if the animal kept doing it over and over again, it would actually start to injure the animal. And so here you have this scene where Jesus shows up, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This, this incredible, miraculous moment where Jesus reveals himself in a way that Paul is never going to forget. And then he has this other expression to say, Paul, aren't you tired of kicking against the goads? In other words, what this highlights is that the moment that Jesus shows up on the road to Damascus is not the first moment that God showed up in Paul's life. Sometimes we can read it that way. That's not true at all. Like we've been talking about this morning already, whether we realize it or not, God is always working. And God was already working in the heart and life of Paul long before that Damascus trip. And it's almost like Jesus is saying to him, Paul, aren't you exhausted? Aren't you tired of all the ways I have been trying to win your heart and reveal myself to you? And you're so angry. You're so frustrated. You're so bent on destroying lives. Aren't you over it? And maybe for some of us here, this, is, this resonates with your story. Either because you're there right now today or you've been there in the past. Where your story is one where you fought against God too. Your story is one where, where God would try to show up in your life and you would say over and over, God, not you, not now, not ever. I don't want this. Turning your back on him over and over again. But God continually pursuing you because he loves you. And maybe for some of us this morning, it's the same expression, the same question of, are you tired it's hard to kick against the goads. Are you tired of doing it? And maybe it's not an issue of salvation for you. Maybe it's just an issue of lordship. Maybe there's some areas of your life where you said, God, I love you and I want you in my life, but only about this far. Because there's a few areas that I don't know that I'm able and I'm willing to hand that over yet either. And we hang on to it and we carry it year after year, after year. And we're tired. This was Paul's story. And sometimes this is our story too. And I love how C.S. Lewis describes it. He, he, he was writing, of course, many years ago, but C.S. Lewis was talking about Paul's story. 
and he was talking about how, how God was doing a work, as we've just been looking at in Paul's life, but, but it's not just Paul's life, because it's our life too. And he said, he said, you know, God is like the divine chess player. You know how chess works, obviously, and you're, you're making your moves, and, and we go about our lives, and we make our moves, and we think we're going to conquer, and we're going to win, and, and we're pursuing whatever it is we're pursuing. But God is the loving and patient and systematic master divine chess player that he is, just makes his moves, knowing full well, in the moment that's right, that you and I come to the realization that it's checkmate. It's checkmate. And we have a decision at that moment to say, am I going to surrender or am I not? And surrender is not loss, unlike chess. When we come to Jesus and we surrender, that's when you win. That's when you win. And that's when he comes into your life and begins to change your life. And that's when we come to that point of we saying, God, I, I want all of you. And I, and I, I want you to have, as we talked about last week, the, the place in my heart that you already rightly have in the universe. And that's Lord. He is Lord of all. But is that true in my life or in your heart? Is that true for us? Some of us, today is the day to stop kicking goads. It hurts. It's hard. It's time to put it down. It's time to trust him. And this is what Paul did. In that moment, suddenly, as Jesus shows up, his life changed. Acts chapter 9, it continues on. Uh, verse 18, I believe, you, you see that Paul gets up and, and Paul is, is baptized. And the people in Damascus, I mean, the Christians there, they're not so sure about this guy because we know who Paul is. He's famous. He's come here to arrest us or to kill us. And now he's saying he's a Jesus follower. And I'm not so sure, but eventually they kind of worked out. They got him, they got him uh, uh, baptized in verse 18. And then I love this, verse 20. This is incredible verse. This is, I mean, he's been a Christian for about an hour. I don't know. In verse 20 uh, of chapter, Acts chapter 9, it says this, at once he, Paul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. This is incredible. This is incredible. He, he's on his way to Damascus as a Jewish man to the Jewish synagogues with letters from the high priest to arrest the Christians. And instead, because Jesus shows up and his life changed, he gets baptized and he says, where's the synagogue? I'm going to go there next. I'm sure the Christians are like, what? Okay, go get him. And so he goes into the Jewish synagogue. He walks in. He stands up. You guys, this is huge. I mean, this would be sort of like, uh, I know he's not here with us anymore, but Billy Graham coming at New Hope, and this is an incredible moment. Paul's going to get up and, and teach us from the Old Testament. What an honor to have him here. Paul gets up on a stage or whatever it was in the synagogue and begins to teach there that Jesus is the Son of God. This is incredible. This man had guts. This man had courage that he would do that. He didn't, I mean, he doesn't, he knows the Old Testament, of course, really well, but he's still trying to figure out this Jesus thing. It didn't stop him. This man had a zeal for ministry. I mean, unlike anything else you'll see, at least in the New Testament, he's like, God, put me in the game. I am ready to go. He stands up there, preaches Jesus to the synagogue. They're like confused, like what in the world's going on? And then they decide to kill him, of course. And so now... Paul's trying to get out of Damascus and the Christians who are not sure if they even like Paul yet are going to help rescue Paul to get him out of the city because the Jews are trying to kill him. What an incredible scene. So what happens next to him? What's his third chapter, if you will? It's an interesting one. It's a surprising one. Because the day that Paul left Damascus, by all accounts, 
he goes out to the desert of Arabia for about three years. We don't know what he did there. He might have been all by himself for three years. He comes back to Damascus. They try to kill him again. So they ship him off. He goes to Jerusalem. He gets there. He's like, yeah, this is Jerusalem. I'm so excited to, to do ministry here and to tell people about Jesus. And, and he's like, put me in the game, coach. I'm ready to go. And the Jews there, excuse me, the Christians in Jerusalem, they're not sure they even like Paul. They don't know what to do with him because his reputation is huge. And so they, they, they don't know. But a guy named Barnabas says, look, I think he's okay. And so, and so they're like, okay, Paul, go ahead and do ministry. So he starts going out on the streets telling people about Jesus. Five minutes later, they're trying to kill him there too. And so the Christian church, they said, okay, this isn't safe. So to save your life, they put him on a boat and they sent him home. He goes back to Tarsus. And there he sat, not for one year, not for two, three, four, but for five years. Here's your next fill in the blank. It's this. Your next fill in the blank is this. That for the next eight or nine years, God put Paul on the bench. Paul is the most gifted, talented, intelligent, strong, zealous, articulate man, potentially in all Israel. And then he joins the Christian team. And now he, he, he's baptized. He's like, he, he just wants to do ministry. And God puts him on the bench. Doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? A, a man who's, who's as gifted as he was, and as eager and willing as he was, and God said, no, not now. And he benches him. And maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you can relate to this idea of, of God, I just, I just want to grow. I just want to do ministry. I, I just want to be about doing what you're asking me to do. I, I want to be a, a part of something special. But I'm on the bench. I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand what's going on in my life today. I don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. But this is what he did to Paul. And could you imagine for Paul, he goes back to Tarsus, back to daddy's house. He has no prospects. He has no future. He, he, he goes from hero status to loser status. He's a zero. He's, he's got nothing. And there he sits at home year after year after year. It's a surprising way for Paul's, this is Paul, Paul's ministry to start almost a decade of just sitting and waiting on God. But God, whether we realize it or not, and whether he realizes it or not, God is always at work. And that's true in Paul's story too. Because those were the years that God prepared Paul to be a missionary. Th those were the years when, when Paul had nothing except Jesus and to spend time with him. Those were the years that, that Paul learned humility, that Paul grew in faith. Those were years of preparation. Those were not wasted years. But as we look at it on the surface, it just doesn't seem to make sense. God is always at work in your life, no matter what season you're in, no matter your spiritual journey, where, what chapter is being written today, God is at work. And I hope that it, it, it encourages you. I hope that is something that, that, that um, just gives you hope. Because in Paul's story, eight or nine years later, he got a knock on the door one day, and it was Barnabas, the same Barnabas that helped him out in Jerusalem years later. And Barnabas said, hey, Paul, I know you don't have much going on, uh, how about you come join me up in Antioch? There's a, a, a great church up there. It's growing. It's healthy. And we'd like to invite you to come up here and do ministry up there. 
And Paul's like, sure, nothing else going on. I'd love to join you. So he goes up there to Antioch, and, and there he is. And from Antioch, he gets sent out with Barnabas as the, as the missionary team to go reach the Gentiles. And the rest is history. God prepared him. And so as the band, you guys come on up, if you would, please. I want to close with a question. And my question is this. My question is, what is God doing in your life today? What is God doing in your life today? What, what work is he doing today? Because following Jesus is a present tense activity. Following Jesus is something where, yes, it is encouraging and it's good to look back and say, that's what God did. But what I'm asking this morning is, what's God doing? What are those things in your life where you're saying, you know what, God is teaching me such and such. Or God is allowing me to go through this kind of experience and this is what it's like for me. And the story's not done yet, but, but God, I'm trusting you to help me grow in such and such area. What's he doing? And there's some space in your bulletin and I would encourage you, maybe before the morning's done, before the Sunday's done, look, it's so cold, there's nothing you can do outside. So just be in home and grab your bulletin, do just some reflecting, just, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my story today? Because I know whether I realize it or not, whether I see it or not, you're not done with me yet. All of us, you, you are God's masterpiece that he is continuing to craft under construction. That's our story. That's where we're at. But he wants to do something amazing in you so that he can work amazing things through you. So what's he doing? What's your story? Let me pray for you. And then we're going to worship together. Father God, we thank you so much for the, the opportunity to to hear Paul's story. And there's some points here where we can connect and we can say, I, I, I think I've been there. Or I know what that feels like. And Father, we thank you that like Paul, that for so many of us here this morning, you've shown up. We've had our Damascus Road moments. Those moments where you made it so evident and clear. You revealed yourself and, and maybe for most of us, we bent the knee and we said, yes, Lord. I'm all in and I'm all yours. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you're on the bench. You don't really understand what's going on. You don't understand what God's doing and, and, and it just doesn't make sense. And Father, for each person here, I pray that you would do a work in their heart, that you would first remind them of your incredible love for them they're a beautiful masterpiece and that you are the craftsman continuing diligently to work in what only you can do and transforming us and, and, and telling a wonderful story through our life. I pray that you would just give insight and direction, that you'd provide in, in a way that only you can. Father, we thank you. And for anyone here this morning that is kicking against goats, today would be the day to say no more. I surrender and turn my life over to you. I'm going to allow you to lead and I will follow. Father, we praise you. We love you. We sing that with our words as we worship here in just a moment, but we want to do that with our life as well. We pray this in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen.